This is the Grin Podcast, and I am Hindul Singupta. Joining me today is the renowned historian Lavanya Vipsani. She's just won an award. Congratulations, Professor Vipsani! Thank you for doing this podcast with me. Thank you so much, uh, Hindul Singupta, and I'm very, very happy to join you. Uh, and thank you for inviting me. Professor Femsani has, of course, been doing um, seminal work in a range of fields, and some of her new books are in the process, including a history of India's early or India's early history, should I say, uh, which looks at the origins of India and Indians, and also takes on many of the old ideas of where Indians come from, and therefore also telling us a little bit. About where we might be going, we're going to discuss all of these things with Professor Vimsani right now on this podcast. If I may ask to begin with, Professor, two things. One, of course, is this entire debate about what used to be called, I guess, the Aryan invasion theory. Now, as you and I have been discussing, uh, there are a couple of other things that have come out. One last year, one in 2018. I want to put all of these things in perspective. I want to begin though by just explaining why all of this is important. All of this is important because there was a commonly held colonial trope that most of the traditions or most of the intellectual firepower of India really comes from outside. Um as I have often said in my own lectures that there was this, this colonial trope essentially said that well there were outsiders which come and who came and gave india uh civilization then another set of outsiders came and gave india culture mm-hmm. and a third set of outsiders which was of course the british came and gave india this idea of modernity so the indians never had much of their own mm-hmm. and this question of where indians come from and their genetics and all of this is important to break this colonial framework isn't it right right yes the 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 aryan invasion theory uh, it's called the aryan in the west uh, so um it is a really really artificial theory uh, there is no uh, race called aryan and no uh, human groups that really prided themselves on being aryan uh, and taking their culture somewhere they, it was not uh found anywhere in history it was only created in the 1920s uh when uh, max muller translated this atharva veda and then uh, figured out uh, vedas are one of the oldest uh, scripture oldest texts found anywhere in the world uh and um, a new theory is created of course not everyone bought into the theory immediately but um, you know the the research was funded by east uh, india company eic uh, the company that was ruling india at the time uh, and of course uh, naturally this theory was easily applied to india because east india company it funded the writing of history books and writing of uh, uh, many things for india and uh, especially Uh, 1820s they also began uh, schools and educating india projects so uh, this took on uh, very quickly and it is sad 
uh, that this theory uh, now expanded it has become a monster it's you know it has taken 100 lives of its own um you would see it in uh, sociology uh, right you know the race theory the uh, caste and upper caste lower caste different race div- divisions uh for different castes and you would see it in linguistics uh you know indo european languages dravidian languages um not, without much evidence for any of these things you know there is no real race division among the people of india whatever caste they may belong to uh and there is no uh, real uh differences within the languages they are more than 50% similar uh, the languages that are called dravidian are uh, uh, indo european languages so this takes on into culture you know the the so called sanskritization the so called you know this is sanskritistic culture this is non sanskritistic culture uh, and the the fun thing is indians never knew that you know sanskrit is not their language or you know this is not their culture or you know the the culture that is following is you know something like sanskritization or you know and this applies right. they they extended this theory into even the goddesses you know you would see this theory um, uh, used for you know ah the folk goddesses are sanskritized and they became you know yeah. this goddess right. that goddess so it has like it's yeah. become a monster so no this is um, of course and like for instance i come from bengal and there's this whole thing that you know uh, goddess worship uh, mm-hmm. is a folk tradition and right. you know then later adopted by the sort of upcast and so on and so forth whereas right. actually as both you and i know uh, goddess worship is a very very long tradition um, uh. you know not just in india but in other parts of the world there's a long tradition so uh-huh. this you know specially you know adoption of upper caste goddesses is is a complete myth right. it's just it's just not true not true it's it's a complete figment of somebody's imagination and uh, yeah. created as you were saying so this is exactly my point i mean you know you've hit the nail on the head as it were right on top <laughs> when we look at genetics uh-huh. and when we look at movement very early movement of human beings of course human beings moved in all kinds of places right. you know um but and that doesn't matter because there is obviously no such thing as any you know like this pure bloodline yeah yeah but it matters because it was adopted by colonial theory right. to create an intellectual framework right. to deprive indians of what is there right would that be correct right right that's that's what we are trying to de- because in in no other country do people have to work so hard uh-huh. for something as simple as ancient movements of people you know no one cares apart from us but we care because we were colonized uh-huh. and this was used against us mhm mhm you know this colonization this theory is were uh, created for all people that were colonized it's it's created for uh, indians it's created for many african countries and it's created for uh, um even the irish you know because they were colonized they were uh, treated as less white uh, and they used the physical anthropology theories to to yeah yeah so you know this yeah it matters for everybody so, who was colonized essentially yeah everybody that is colonized and once we are decolonized we are trying to work on you know our post colonial identity and the identity is trapped uh, in this in this mythology you know which is not history at all uh, that's right yeah and it's always like you know based on these physical characteristics some some you know some white folks uh, th- that are looking really really white and really really smart and cool uh, came on the horses and gave this culture 
yes replaced the whole population but where is this whole population where is the replacement where is the you know neolithic yes. package they brought That's right. There is no So we'll go into the nuances of the these two things a, a little bit now into the two papers that you and I were discussing. Yeah. Um one of course is a 2018 the Rakigari paper, uh-huh. right? The Rakigari digs so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we'll discuss. The other of course is this paper looking at more than 500 uh people mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. uh which was again done by a bunch of more than 90 scientists and the paper came out mm-hmm. last year. Right. So these are two things, right? right? right. Um Let's take each of them one by one. Right. The first one, of course, uh, the Rakigari digs, as you were explaining right. uh, to me separately from this podcast, right. uh, really shows that in the Indus Valley period, there is there was no replacement at all because if there had been a mass replacement of the kind that the original Aryan invasion theory suggests. Mm-hmm. what we find in rakigari would not have been true mm-hmm. is that correct right. is my understanding right. correct right that is correct can, can i spend some time here on uh, pre yes absolutely and, uh, please absolutely and the theories of Indeed. replacement and how it doesn't make sense okay um our prehistory uh, is dated between uh, 7 million years ago uh, to to 10000 years ago 10000 years ago is the neolithic uh but from 55000 years ago onwards we have a mesolithic culture so between 80000 to 55000 is upper paleolithic so upper paleolithic period of course a number of uh, rock caves and uh, many habitations and many tools were found across india uh, you would find a little bit of decline of population in uh, middle paleolithic people think that was because of toba volcano and all those things so anyway the the genetic traces are found uh, dated to 74 to 73000 years ago and the rock shelters of bimbeka are also dated to this period uh, from 70000 years ago onwards so you have these habit- habitations and continued habitations and continued paintings and continued Uh, motifs that are repeated uh, laid down in many cultures so so we have continuous habitations of prehistoric habitations ranging from upper paleolithic and in many historic sites uh, and we also have genetic traces that are datable to this period they date from 74000 years ago and 73000 years ago so uh, so continuous habitation and it is also noted in uh, harappa because the the woman uh, the lady's skeleton that was found is uh, is uh, it belongs to you know u2b2 u2b2 is actually derived from r and w you know uh, that actually is indigenous so so the original m n r uh, the founder genetics and this is a derivative line from 16000 years ago and it is indigenously derived and it is found in a large number of indians not just not just 1 or 2% it's found between 30 to 50% people in india so uh, so that proves that uh, the people of india were never replaced because the archaeological continuity is noticed at the same time we also notice the human genetic continuity this doesn't mean that nobody came of course people came and lived among us and assimilated with us 
the the point that we are trying to say here is nobody replaced nobody replaced the indigenous culture nobody replaced the indigenous populations the population uh, continuity in india uh, is noticed and also for indian population the m1 m for uh, female and also the the m134 male you know dated to 74000 years ago they are the founder genetic lines um, a and b are african lines non african lines are from c to t and c is the next uh, oldest line it is the founder line that is found in india so uh, there are many derivatives of it um, so uh, it is it is clear from all the evidence that we can uh, gather Uh, in archaeology in history in uh, uh, genetics uh, that indian population is indigenously originated it was never replaced and definitely not replaced uh, for 3400 years ago or something you know neolithic there was certainly no neolithic replacement uh, neolithic uh, cultures you know agriculture actually originated in two different places in india Uh, and domestication is also noted in india in archaeology so so no cultural replacement so uh, this actually disproves the aryan invasion or aryan migration theory very interesting um now we come to the the point that you were making and the point that has been made in the second paper that i was talking right. about which talks about more than 500 people whose genetic study was done um and they talk about post the post the indus valley period right. and this is a quote that one of the people who have done the papers seem to have given post the uh, and the abstracts seem to suggest that post the indus valley period there was some movement and mixing and migration and assimilation of people and that people uh, that assimilation or that migration or that movement if i may call it that of people from uh, central asia or eastern europe into india has caused a particular gene in in you know certain indian populations which we find and this could be because of this movement now this movement as you are suggesting it is does not mean that there was any replacement of indigenous culture at all but as you said it was a normal movement which was probably happening in every other part of the world too people moved from here to there would that be the correct assessment um i i would have to disagree with their conclusion <laughs> precisely okay. because of the reason um they basically depend on this uh, r1a1 uh, and some of them yeah. um they should not have called it step step genome but they called it um, it's against scientific norms to call any genome by any regional or race terms uh, but anyway they called it so so that's what they are trying to make an assumption here uh, the so called r1a1 okay. uh, migrated to india yes. so how can we accept that because in india the origin of r is noted to 43000 years ago and the origin of uh, r1a1 is actually dated to 36000 years ago and there is r2 also r2 and r2 
1B and R1, A1, A1, you know, more R's in India. So these are older. So the Eastern European um, genome, uh, R1 genome, uh, at the most, could only be dated between uh, 16,000 to 22,000, 23,000, something like that. So, so anyways, almost 10,000 years younger than India. So how can this 10,000 years younger genome came to India and gave rise to the older genome in India? That's one question. And the second question is, the R1A1 is found not just in Eastern Europe, it fo it's found across uh, the world. It's also found uh, in Africa, many African countries. It's also found in Sudan, Sub-Saharan African countries. So how can you call it uh, a step genome? Uh, that's the second question. And the third question is, uh, Indian populations, uh, many of us have many our male uh, uh, genome, uh, many uh, R1, R1A, and this variety of R's, uh, and R, the basal R, and also um, the older R's. You know, the R actually comes from uh, F, so you know, the older C, D, and F are also found in India. So the whole genetic lines of these origins are found in India. So the older lines are in India. And Roma uh, were only taken from India a few uh, generations ago, right? You know, a thousand to uh, 700 years ago. And they also show this older uh, R1A. So R1A, of course, noticed uh, widely in India and found, you know, even uh, in the people that migrated from India thousands of years ago. So how can you call it an immigrant or uh, inv invading uh, gene? And also, is it right to call some gene as, you know, step gene or, you know, so, so what, so what do you think they should have ideally called it? These theories are so overarching uh, for population genetics. So if it is widely found across the world, how can you call it, you know, why not call it Indian gene? You know, its origin is in India. Our origination in India. R, R1, A, R1, B. The older lines are in India. Actually, R is 50,000 years ago. <laughs> And R1 is 43,000 years ago, and R1A is 36,000 years ago, and their their parental genes, you know, the C uh, is 74, 74 or 73,000 years ago, and the D and F are also older in India. All the mutations that lead to these are also found in India. So Indians, they may have one of these R's, you know, R, R1, R2, uh, R2B or whatever. If they don't have these younger ones, they have the older ones. The whole genealogy is in India. So how can we say, you know, <laughs> this this is just linear evolution and the um, general movement of people within the Indian subcontinent. How can we say it is replaced? It's not replaced. It's just originated, you know, as part of the genetic process within India. Right. So the, when, when they say in their abstract that following the Indus Valley civilization's decline, they mixed with people in the Southeast to form one of the two main ancestral populations of South Asia, whose direct descendants live in Southern India. Simultaneously, they mixed with descendants of steppe pastoralists who spread via Central Asia after 4,000 years ago to form the other main ancestral population, the steppe ancestry 
uh, in South Asia has the same profile as that of the Bronze Age Eastern Europe, tracking a movement of people that affected both regions and that likely spread the unique shared features between the Indo-Aryan and the Balto-Slavic languages. Uh, you are saying this is this may not be correct. correct? Yeah. Right? How how can we uh, make such overarching assumptions? So you're saying at best, uh, at best we can say that people may have moved, but we cannot make uh, we cannot say anything deeper than that, right? Later, because we don't have. Later after the after the Indus Valley civilization. Yeah. Right. So if 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 somebody moved after the Indus Valley, there I think they are making the assumption yes. uh, that you know Indus Valley uh, declined and then you know the window opened and maybe some people came in. Uh, right. So, <laughs> interesting. So you know there is you know these these abandoned. So why would you why why do you them. think they would make such a like why do you think they would make uh, like what is because there seems to be you know there were Indians also who were part of this research. Why do you think this? Where do you think? I'm not I'm not questioning anybody's judgment, but I'm trying to understand where do you think the mistake would could have occurred? That's that's what that's what I am wondering. You know there is. There are, these are overarching assumptions, uh, right? There is really no strong yeah. evidence for any replacement, any movement, any you know population divisions within India, uh, and um, the so-called step pastoralists. You know, they are still start talking about step pastoralists during Harappan times. Yes, there is nobody, right? No, no intermixture or anything. No, they think following the Indus Valley okay, civilization. Okay, following the Indus Valley civilization. Okay, let's 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 yeah, let's go step by step. Okay, during a Harappan Valley, there was there was nobody. So Harappa declined. Right. You know, Harappa was between Harapp, not Harappa, the civilization, Indus Valley civilization between 10,000 right. BCE to 2000 BCE, roughly. So after right. 2000 BCE, some pastoralists came and occupied. Is that what they are saying? Well, I think uh, from what I um, from what I read, they're saying that there was some mixing. They're particularly using the word mixing. They're not saying replacement. There's no the word the replacement does not occur. They're saying okay. mix. Okay, so they are trying to shift the goalposts here. The goalpost is okay. you know the goalpost is um, between fifteen hundred to uh, two thousand to fifteen hundred uh, BCE. That is between three thousand five hundred to four thousand years ago. People came yeah. and uh, replaced and gave you culture, right? And then we stood up yes. and we stood. If yeah. that is the goalpost, that's the yeah. most interesting thing. And then we said, if that colonial goalpost is yeah. the goalpost. So then we said, no, that's that not. That goalpost true. doesn't exist. Anymore. Now they are switching the goalpost, and yeah. now there is new goalpost. You know? Oh, okay. The people didn't come, but you know somehow mixing happened, and your culture is not your culture. <laughs> so they are still giving the. Okay, so here's my question here. Here's my question here. Uh, please allow me, if I may ask you this. I I completely understand where all of us have a difficulty right. because our worry is that this will extrapolate in some insidious or sly mm-hmm. way into making the same argument that our culture mm-hmm. is not our culture. Yeah. Right, so let's take that off the table yeah. for a moment. It is quite clear that whatever culture, and this this is an argument I have made many times, and others have made many times. I think our sensible people 
have been talking for some time but i agree that this colonial framework has been there for a way too long much longer than it should have right. existed if we take right. that off the table if we begin right. with the assumption or begin with the right. understanding that our culture is our culture in fact i would go one step further and say it doesn't really matter to me today in 2020 right. through 2000 years yeah. ago who brought uh, you know who may have come from somewhere and mixed with indigenous population and my mind uh, and where the you know the, the the first verses of the rigveda came from my point is it's my uh-huh. civilization which gave birth to some of the most ancient and uh-huh. profound uh philosophies scriptural and theological philosophies the world uh-huh. has ever known right. it's my heritage right. i have i do not wish to fight uh-huh. with anybody uh-huh. about that at all because yeah. i find that ridiculous that speaks to me directly to my heart my right. soul as right. an indian right why do i care about i mean just because the colonial colonial soldiers 2000 years ago i don't anyway these things are very hard to prove who knows what happened right we don't know 200 years ago what happened we don't even know we cannot we are still fighting about what yeah, happened 100 yeah. years ago right i mean you know uh, and not just us in most countries they're still quarreling about what happened you know i mean think about i was laughing about this actually after our conversation right. this morning to somebody that in many parts of the world we cannot even argue about what happened with globalization right. in the last 20 years. right exactly you know forget 2000 years ago yeah i mean you feel you're, you're yeah. you know you know what i mean right we can't agree on what happened with yeah. globalization yeah. 20 years yeah. ago so a time when yeah. all of us was alive yeah. you know we all yeah. saw so it but we cannot agree right so yeah. let's take that off the table if i take that anxiety off the mm-hmm. table completely then does it make sense for us not to care whether there was some you know movement because it seems to me and please correct me if i'm wrong that movement was happening in the ancient world constantly out of africa as one out of india as another one there were other kinds of movements as you know climactic changes happened people moved it seems to me it's a bit futile some people want to tra- trace this pure bloodline but is there anything such such thing no, as a pure no, bloodline there, there is nothing called pure bloodline and i have already made myself clear uh, earlier there is nothing called step gene you know we right. cannot call a genome by uh, by racial name or uh, caste name or yeah. any name uh, that is purely unscientific um, so so i'm clear there i made myself clear already uh, it's really scientific and uh, right. we should not be doing it uh, no no genes uh can be termed you know this race that race or um, anything it's as yes. long as calling Absolutely. some genome as a step genome so so that's that's put aside right. and indian uh culture uh as any other culture um shows you know archaeologically uh continuous habitations so archaeologists uh, have uh, continuously showed but most of these are not uh, published in mainstream or you know our newspapers our newspapers yes. should, they should actually you know these archaeologists come up and say oh this site you know this pedabangur site actually shows 3000 years of habitation and newspapers don't even write it um yeah and um, yes. uh, so many archaeological sites in india 
uh, have shown uh, continuity uh, from mesolithic uh, period onwards that's the reason i was talking about mesolithic period and uh, upper paleolithic period you know from 55000 years ago right the mesolithic age um, have you seen uh, the goddess you know the we are all you know east coast people east coast people have this you know bengal odisha andhra pradesh and uh, tamil nadu also uh, we have this you know round uh, stone uh, which is worshiped as a goddess uh, gods in many towns and yeah, villages yeah yeah yes uh, we have that also yes. you know in in villages and you know one was actually found in a mesolithic habitation uh there is this round stone uh, which was like a set up like a sacred spot with the concentric circle around it yes. so yeah so 55000 yes. years ago that is mesolithic culture and we evolved into neolithic culture and we have some sites uh, in karnataka and uh, andhra pradesh that show parallel evolution of uh, you know mesolithic while neolithic was you know evolving so you have pastoralist as well as settled agricultural societies you know the mesolithic is mostly you know early pastoralist culture so we have these continuities uh, in many places that were excavated uh, and banaras you know varanasi near varanasi a village was excavated it shows you know uh, village settlement from 5000 years ago and all that and of course you know newspapers don't give the full story <laughs> at all <laughs> yeah. yeah so so my point is of course maybe they came uh, it doesn't matter to us indian culture is indian culture and we have our culture and our people yeah continuing from 55000 years ago and our genetics are you know 80000 years ago and we have these upper paleolithic symbols you know have you visited bimbetka caves that is one of the caves that uh, everyone every indian must visit So, you know it has these early yeah. paintings you know the the human uh, groups uh, and horses and uh, symbols uh, and we see all these symbols even now in our culture and in many places you know bimbetka is in central india but you know in madhya pradesh as some some place but you know these symbols are found all across india so we traveled within our civilization we shared our culture we have 15 different kinds of neolithic cultures that are found in india all have little bit of difference but you know shared culture uh, just like now you know we have 28 different languages we all you know still have some similarities but some differences so you would find the same uh, with the prehistoric cultures we have variety No, and um, I, I, absolutely, you mentioned goddess worship, right. and I, I was just thinking, you know, when right. you're talking about goddess worship, um, you know, and at some point, some of us looked at goddess worship traditions, not just in India but around right. the world, and similarities there, right? And we came across, and when we began to look, I mean, you know, uh, we came across things like, and of course, you would know this better than us, things like the Venus of right. Willendorf, right? It's in the Natural right. Museum of Vienna, for instance, right? The Venus of Willendorf. The moment right. an Indian sees it, one right. recognizes it in instantly. You know, one yeah. one knows what it is immediately. Right. I mean, uh, you know, you don't have to have, um, you know, uh, you just need to be an Indian right. to recognize it, if, right. you, if you know what I mean, right? Because you you under you see the shape, uh, you you mm-hmm. see the shape of the body, mm-hmm. you see the sort of you know 
the undulating mm-hmm. hair piece and so on and so forth and you know that you know i i recognize something in this which is you know which i have seen it, mm-hmm. it's part of my cultural right. memory right and and these kind of um, right. connections as you're pointing out exist in 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 all cultures which are very right. old and which are very ancient right and there are all these overlapping connections which actually makes you know global right. history very very interesting right the telling right. of global history very interesting i i, I want to you know as as we come to the end of this but interview, i want to add think, uh, continue with a, a little bit you know yeah please go on. yes go so so we see yes. this continuity please, please. pottery and everything right you know there's some yes. people came if yes. some people came they came with nothing and they adopted our culture because no pottery no symbols uh, no alien symbols are found in any of the cultures any of the places so so it doesn't matter right. if somebody came right. our culture is our culture we built it and we are responsible if it is wrong right. or if it is right absolutely <laughs> yeah so this right. is a very important point you're making you are saying that this obsession with connecting cultural right. intellectual heritage with move ancient right. movement of people there is a fundamental right. flaw in right. this connection isn't right. that correct so yeah that these are two different things one is cultural intellectual heritage mm-hmm. that's one separate thing the other is the ancient mm-hmm. movements of people which is an entirely separate thing and force fitting or force mm-hmm. connections between the two right. is right. probably you can't, the problem. don't call the gene genome by uh, race names or you know original names <laughs> and don't impose and because it seems to me like when you're talking again again you know how this steppy gene is wrong thing. because you know this movement post in this valley period were irrespective of what we call the gene we cannot prove that they brought in this part of our culture right like you're saying how we don't do we know, know? there is we there is no know. evidence in uh, india there is evidence in uh, you know africa and other places you know from 1500 bc onwards uh, there are wars between persia and uh, greeks uh, persians actually took over you know yes. all these places as assyria and egypt and all those parts and everything is recorded of course and indians are also recorded indian names are recorded you know our first uh, names actually come from 1300 years ago 1500 years ago you know in bahrain um, so called you know dilmun seals so in this valley and then uh, of course indian uh, seals so so there is evidence if somebody went there would some evidence of course indians yeah. went and their names are there there you know their pottery is there their things are there but if if they came yeah, here yeah, where yeah. is it of course where is the seals where is their names where is you know <laughs> without any evidence how can you impose this theory on us right no genetic evidence no pottery Absolutely. evidence no so why why and we have all become i mean this this entire debate has got mired into this why do you think we have not been able to disconnect a natural ancient movement of people which happened in every part of the world with culture why do you think we tied this with culture unnecessarily why couldn't we keep it separate why did we why have we insisted on connecting those two things which has caused you know years of like i perhaps unnecessary and acrimonious debate 
do you think it is only the colonial sort of framework to blame or is there anything um, more there as a historian you know um, i i see most of it connected to colonial theories and colonial framework uh, and imposition right. of culture you know right. for colonial states yeah. uh, if they can impose this it is easier for them to rule uh, and they ruled they did that everywhere and they ruled it you know if they can make the native populations lose their identity and become selfless it's easier to rule them easier yeah. to brainwash them and rule them the way they want you know they can make them do anything uh, once they are separated from their own culture and uh, their own uh, their own self you know um, uh, probably you you read um, tagore you know gora uh, tagore uh, you would see this you know yes, painful gora thought, yes you know? when can we find this soul when can we found find ourselves you know and and uh, gora would be you yeah. know gora was actually doing something uh, the the action and the call you know and then uh, the the book itself begins with this you know the yes uh, caged bird uh, doesn't know uh, so yeah yeah so yes. so the yes, last no and so much of tagore's work and i think uh, since you brought up tagore i mean um you know I think Tagore's work often today especially in our acrimonious times is deeply misunderstood. I mean so much of Tagore's work is really uh-huh. the search uh-huh. for the truth. If you sense. read Oh my god. It's yeah. Really yeah. If you read sense. Gora, if you read the first page, you yes. cannot really stop yourself from, you know, feeling this, you know, loss for some time crying. Yeah. Uh, it's that yes, painful yes. and how he represented that loss of self is um it's epic you know it's not even <laughs> imaginable yeah yeah no i completely agree i mean i i completely agree and uh, you're absolutely right so the moral of the story right. to there's a right. key takeaway as we come to the end is that we have to dissociate and i'm sure as we were discussing when uh, i think was it yeah. yesterday maybe uh, earlier continuously new archaeological finds right. new technologies new ways of looking at genetics uh, will right. probably keep telling us new things right. about the world not just about india but about every part of the world right. about how human beings interacted right and we will know right. new right. things there is no end to this right i mean that we will know new things and right. we should be right. open to right. knowing new things about ourselves but we should not connect it too deeply with culture unless the evidence is extremely uh palpable or extremely lucid because that especially in post colonial right. countries like india creates a certain right. societal anxiety which which is very uh which right. is very it's very harmful, very harmful for the society yeah yeah so so because a lot of people don't think about it in you know obviously such depth and stuff but it remains mm-hmm. a debris in their mind yeah definitely so so it's important for historians sociologists and linguists to say this you know at yeah. least to acknowledge this you know there was this theory that was imposed uh, during the colonial rule but no not sufficient evidence yes. is available of whatever is created in india yes. culture society uh, history is generated and created within india yes. and it is evolved within india yes so unless we find yes and if anybody and if and when people came 
they actually took our what right. was ours what we have been created here rather than them right. being the carrier right. of something because there is no us. evidence for that so yeah because there is no evidence that anybody carried right. anything so to speak culturally right. carried anything culturally right. as treasures right. from somewhere else into so, us you know <laughs> it's a very it's a very important uh, uh, note i mean you know i wish all, you know all of us start thinking in these manners uh, then we will be able to look at everything from our own culture to genetics to further excavation the new truths uh, that i'm sure one day will confront right. us with less anxiety right and uh, you know less burden uh, and also less right. uh, you right. know acrimony all around that's uh, that's that's probably the path towards a more having a right. more sensible conversation uh, uh, one last question professor uh, do you have you ever had conversations with uh, david rike or uh mr rai neeraj rai or any of them uh you know because i i i would be fascinated to see a dialogue uh emerge between people who do a lot of intensive work in this field uh to give us even more deeper truths do you think there are platforms available that uh, right uh, we are thinking think uh, probably we may uh, try to do something in the future uh, like collaboration between theologians historians and then Wonderful. <laughs> leading genes- geneticists that would uh, that would be something very uh, useful uh, but uh, as of now uh, we are still working with the evidence that we have uh, as far as india is concerned uh, okay. there is no evidence post uh, harappa post harappa we have hist- historical records you know there are many persian yeah. records and then there are all records are yeah. available so records also don't say anybody coming so no records no archaeology no genetics <laughs> so we can only say there is a theory and and move on this is just indian civilization yeah <laughs> wonderful when well, look forward to your new book which i think will touch it, some it of these subjects it discusses all these or subjects, am i you know, what we have in archaeology what we have in genetics and what we can uh, confidently say instead of assumption great and we look forward to your new book Uh, thank, thank you very you so much, much for this wonderful much. conversation. And I hope we all learn to think about these things uh, in the way that you've suggested so that we become less anxious about history and uh, you know <laughs> there is less acrimony all around. Right. This is this is a wonderful note. Uh, uh, this is an auspicious month and a uh, wonderful note uh, in in which to uh, end our one right. uh, thank, thank you thank you. Thank so you very much. much. Um Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.